Welcome back, everybody. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. I'm Brent Kuhlman here with Adam Moline and Clint Poppy. We've been discussing the Eighth Commandment, and uh, I want to pick this up some more about uh, we're, sp- we're supposed to put the best construction on everything. So when you, when you hear some gossip, what are you supposed to do with it? You make your ear a tomb. That's what you do, and you bury it there. Um, and so gossip stops where? With you in your ear. All right. This is very important. And of course, when I say this and everybody says, yeah, but <laughs> and everybody wants to stick their butt in it. B-U-T. Yeah, but uh, they'll say, what if I know my friend is guilty of something? And Luther answers this question in a large catechism. He says, God forbids you. Did you God forbids you to speak evil about another, even though you know about it. Even well, though you know that the man's guilty or the person's guilty. One of the things I've done, Pastor, maybe you can react to this. Um, when uh, somebody has used as a defense uh, self-justification mechanism of their gossip, well, I know it's true. I know it's true. One of the responses that I've had is that uh, if you are so concerned with the truth, why don't you start with yourself? Why don't you publicly tell all of your sin all of your shame, all of your secrets. And then when you get all of yours out there, then you have my permission to start with other people. <laughs> and uh, that usually ends the conversation pretty quickly right there. Yeah. But I think it drives home the point that what Luther's making here is you're not the judge and jury. Right. That this, is, this is the Lord's to do. And if it rises to the level of a ser- serious crime, call the authorities. Don't gossip about it. Do something about That's it. That's exactly what I, where I was going next, to piggyback on what you said. So if, if you say, yeah, but I know that my, or this person is guilty of something, all right then, then press charges. Want you, and then you can testify in court. If not, then I think you should be quiet. In fact, God forbid you to be quiet. You, you need to bite your tongue. <laughs> because as you just mentioned, uh, God has not made you the judge, and he's not made you the jury. Let me just simply give a quote one more time from the catechism, <clears throat> large catechism. Uh, we should not. We should note, Luther says, that none has the right to judge and reprove a neighbor publicly, even after having seen a sin committed, unless authorized to judge and reprove. There is a very great difference between judging sin and having knowledge of sin. You may certainly know about a sin, but you should not judge it. I may certainly see and hear that my neighbor sins, but I have no command to tell others about it. If I were to interfere and pass judgment on him, I would fall into a greater sin than that of my neighbor. So when you become aware of a sin, however, do nothing but turn your ears into a tomb and bury it until you are appointed a judge and are authorized to administer punishment by virtue of your office. So we're talking vocation here. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you've been given the vocation to deal with this, and you know the, the, the judge in a family might be you know, the mom or the dad, depending on what the, what the situation is, the, uh, uh, the, the leader of a neighborhood association. You know, there, there are different hats and different vocations that we wear. I think he's talking uh, here specifically about the, uh, the elected or appointed position of an actual judge Correct. who has the power to levy fines or pass judgment. Yeah, this applies, again, like the Fifth Commandment. Uh, I have no authority 
to take matters into my own hands against criminals and execute judgment on them. And that would, that would include even the death penalty, because I'm not the judge and I'm not the jury, and I'm not the hangman, to use the old language. Okay. Now, go ahead, Adam. You were I just say listening to it and thinking about it, you can't help but think of all the things going on in politics right now and how maybe we just need to have a good class on the Eighth Commandment in Washington, D.C. You know, uh, people are talking about things they don't have the right to talk about. There's uh, no, they're all anonymous sources, you know, and the rumors spread around and you talk about them on the news. Right. And when they finally do, uh, investigations take a long time. They come out. Here's what really happened. Nobody wants to listen to that part. When the person who's given to speak about it speaks, nobody cares because they've already judged uh, the matter in their own court of public opinion. Again, this brings up the topic about how we as Christians and the church should pray uh, that these leaders, as you mentioned, in Washington, D.C., will do their offices faithfully and justly. Remember, we talked about this last week, Adam. You remember this? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we are in a lawless situation where there is no justice. And so I'm going to beg all you pastors who listen and all you people of congregations that when you pray on Sunday and when you pray at home and you do your devotions and studies at home, that you must pray for God to raise up men and women in positions of authority over us who have the highest integrity, who are not given to bribes and corruption and immorality. And you must pray that God will use them as his instruments to do many things. I could go on and on, but one of the things in what we're talking about is true justice. And if you want to add, to uphold people's reputations. And when people are guilty, then you can properly use your office to prosecute and punish. Now, I want to move another. You, Clint, you, do you want to say something about this? Well, I just wanted to ask where, where, the, uh, where the vocation of journalist fits into what you said you've been you've been looking at this from the from the side of the politician mm-hmm. what about the stability of those who are writing the stories that we read online that we read in the newspapers that we hear on the uh, news networks uh it would it would seem to me that in light of the eighth commandment that that uh, that commandment cuts both ways. Yes, and that we would we would have some journalistic ethics or standards that would not print things or say things that would be given to innuendo or would lead people down a fake news gossip driven path, but would speak the truth whether they personally agree with that truth or not. Right, that's uh, true. I agree with you one hundred percent. And this is what we as Christians need to start telling people. Uh, and we need to call people out on this. Uh, if, so, for example, if a journalist tells lies about someone, we have to tell them, you're sinning. You need to repent of that. That's, how, that's what I would do as a pastor. And as a citizen, as a, that's my vocation as pastor. I'd say, you need to repent. And I think the vocation of every Christian, as a Christian, a, a holy and royal priest, should say, that's a lie. You need to repent of that. And at the same time, living, in, living as a citizen in this country, when you have, when you have journalists who purposely lie, I think it's time to take them to court. I think it's time to press charges. That's what needs to start happening. <laughs> uh, and the uh, for the sake of justice the, and reputation. The the young boy who had his uh, reputation dragged through the mud after the uh, the confrontation with the uh, uh, right to life march or whatever that was. Yeah, uh, Nicholas and, Sandman. Yeah, there you go, Nicholas Sandman, and he's he is uh, now suing. He's going to court. He's now suing the New York Times and the Washington 
uh, post, I believe it is, for hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, so we'll we'll see how serious these journalistic standards are taken. Pastor, have you noticed in the course of your, your time in life and as a pastor, have you noticed that there are certain people that seem to be magnets for gossip? Yeah. They seem to just be mad that everybody goes to this particular person or these particular people. And other people, uh, they are not magnets for gossip. In fact, nobody will talk to them about the latest juicy rumors because they have plugged up their ears and they won't listen. Um, how, how can we encourage and teach our people that when somebody comes with this gossip even if it's true when they come with this true you know uh, uh large catechism says uh, your ears should be a tomb um i can't do this on my own i want to hear it i want to pass it on i want to hit like on twitter i want to retweet i want to make a facebook post i want you know this is what that old adam inside of me wants to do i'll throw this out let's assume that moline comes to me and he says man can you believe what Poppy did the other day? And then he starts gossiping about Poppy. Here's what you could say. This is an example. I'm sure it's all true. <laughs> Again, I'm, this is for the sake of the discussion. <laughs> I'm just kidding, yeah. Um, I, I, I really, this is advice I give to people all the time. Is Really, Adam? So what did Clint say when you told him this? And, of course, Adam will say, well, I didn't. I said, well, there's, that's a big problem, Adam. I'll tell you what. Um, he's over here down the hall in the office. Why don't you come with me? I'll take you by the hand, and you can talk to him about it. Or if you're out of town, I'll tell you what. Get him, text him right now and ask him. Talk to him about it right now. That's, that's one thing. But back to the, your earlier question is, uh, why don't you tell us? Uh, people in congregations, they'll go talk to who normally? The pastor's wife to spread gossip. Say more about that, would you? Well, yeah, you know, and I think many pastors that are married have had this uh, experience as well. Uh, people love gossip. They're drawn to gossip. And so the easiest way to get gossip is to go to the pastor's wife. Does that happen and, to your wife, Adam? It has, yep. Okay. Um, people ask her all the time about things they want to know in the church. And what happens, Clint? Uh, well, they'll pump and pump and pump for information. And... <laughs> The, the people years ago discovered with my wife that, uh, A, she doesn't know anything because— And we mean she, that in a good way. That yes, she she's yeah. the past, she is not the pastor of the church. I am. And so with regard to church things, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about when the next worship service is or when vacation Bible school is. But as far as any issues or problems or questions or concerns, she is completely in the dark. She is completely clueless. So after multiple, multiple, multiple times of people going to her and trying to uh, get information out of her, after a while, they just get tired of it because they know it's not going to happen. And even before that... Before that uh, uh, message was sent that she doesn't have any vital information to feed the gossip, uh, she was always a very, very good one, and still is to this day, that when people start talking about gossip, she just walks away. When a conversation turns, which happens very easily, it just quickly, on a dime, turns into that gossip role, she just walks away. Has that happened with your wife as well, Adam? Yeah. Being um, a pastor? She 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 doesn't know anything, and when people ask, she tells them, you know, I don't know anything about it, and I, she uses your tact as well. Maybe you should go talk to so-and-so about it because it's not my 
realm of authority. It's mm-hmm. not my business to know. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to handle it. And that's, I've done that very same thing. So, yeah. yeah. What, what about you, Pastor? Very similar. Yeah. There, there are times when my wife may be talking with someone, whether it's in the community or the congregation, and they may want to gossip about something, and it's, it's all new to her. She's, I don't, I don't know anything about this. My husband hasn't told me anything about this. And then it basically stops the conversation. So that, that's a good thing. Let's, let's push this further, shall we, in our discussion about, the, and that we'll continue with this next week, is that, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 18 that if, if you've uh, if got a brother or sister in Christ who's sinned against you, what does Jesus say in Matthew 18? He says, now get on Facebook, get on Twitter and Snapchat, and tell everybody about it. Is that what Jesus says? Yeah, call, uh, call the uh, Washington Post, <laughs> and uh, you can use the code name Deep Throat, and uh, you can uh, you can say whatever you want to say. No. Yeah, Jesus Thanks, says, Matt, yeah, he says, if a brother or sister, and I, I mean that when I say that, brother or sister, because that's all-inclusive when Jesus is a brother in Matthew 18. If a fellow Christian sins against you, you go to that person individually. Okay. Now, I bring this up. In our discussion of the commandment, if you're not willing to do that, what do you do then? Shut up. <clears throat> Shut up. Just be quiet. Okay. And I and I think our world would be a completely different place. And it's been my experience, and you know, I know I know we'll talk about these stages of admonition in Matthew eighteen next time when we come back. But if people would take that first step your brother or sister sins against you, go to them, just the two of you, one-on-one. The goal is reconciliation. If people would actually do that, my experience, 99.9% of the time, the problem just goes away. Right, right. Well, we've run out of time because I hear the music. So in the meantime, my friends, stay Lutheran. Welcome, everyone. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. My name is Brent Kuhlman. I'm here with Adam Oline and Clint Poppy. Who? Who? Yeah, he's been on vacation. Welcome back, Clint. Uh, it's uh, good to be back. You were, at, were you in Fort Wayne uh, witnessing the assignment of a new vicar? We were, uh, we were hoping to go to Florida on vacation uh, due to some unforeseen family situations. That uh, trip didn't happen, but that did uh, allow us to uh, make the uh, journey to New Haven, Missouri for um, oh, a funeral probably, for yeah. the uh, funeral of a uh, much maligned and uh, faithful servant of God, uh, Pastor Herman Otten. And then uh, from from New Haven, we just kept right on driving, and we drove to Fort Wayne and attended the uh, Vicarage Placement Service and then the call day service. Uh, and so it was. Uh, it ended up being a good thing. Yeah, welcome back. I did not know you attended the Herman Otten funeral. Uh, who preached? Um, I'm not aware of the details, so fill uh, me in. The, uh, the, the young man who is a son of um, uh, Pastor Otten's congregation, who is a pastor in the Church of Norway, and I'll think of his name here in uh, in just a second. 
Oh, uh, I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember his uh, name. Graduate either. of Concordia Seward. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. working on a PhD in uh, in the Church yeah, of okay. Norway. Right. He he very publicly left the church, uh, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and uh, joined the Church of Norway. Okay, I know who you're talking about too. Okay, thank you for that information. Yeah, okay. but it was a yeah. it was a wonderful service. It was an excellent sermon. Uh, there was no uh, uh, eulogizing or grandstanding or anything like that. And uh, Christ Jesus crucified and risen got preached, huh? He did. And uh, (laughs) amazingly, uh, I think in the course of the service, we sang at least 50 hymn verses in the funeral. We sang, um, I know that my Redeemer lives, all eight verses. We sang, uh, dear Christians, one and all rejoice, all ten verses. We sang, uh, salvation unto us has come. All ten verses. And every hymn was like that. And we sang all the verses. And it was joyous and glorious. And by the time the service was over, I had no voice left. I'll bet. Yeah. I'll bet so. So. Well, that's. I'm glad to hear that. Adam, how you been? You been, you been working hard? Yeah, you know, as hard as a pastor who works for one hour a week can work. You, know? now you, work, you work an hour more than I do then. <laughs> we have two services oh, on Sunday. Come on. But I only do them, you know, halfway, so. But you only <laughs> preach every other week, so. There yeah, we piece of cake. Well, we've been talking about the Eighth Commandment, and uh, last week we, we spoke about how Luther handles this in the large catechism. You know, we should fear and love God so that we do not lie about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, and hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. This is the holy living that God expects. This is the holy living that the Christian wants to do according to God's word. And Luther in the large catechism uh, talks about three aspects of the eighth commandment. We talked about the first two last week, Adam and I did with the vicar. And uh, the first by way of review was that Luther says, you know, uh, we should maintain our neighbor's legal rights according to the eighth commandment. And then we also talked about uh, what Luther talks about spiritual jurisdiction, which means, uh, when you preach the gospel faithfully, when you uh, teach the word of God faithfully, expect to be maligned and called a heretic. And that, that's another way the Eighth Commandment is, is abused. There's another way that the Eighth Commandment, Luther in the large catechism says, there's a third aspect to this, and it's how we speak about other people, okay? And it's how you use your tongue. And let's not forget, you know, uh, James, in, in his letter, in chapter 3, he says that the tongue is like a wild beast, and it can't be tamed. <laughs> and every time I read that, James, it's like, man, he nailed me. He nailed me big time because uh, my tongue, connected with the old Adam in me, has to die every day. And it seems like about every minute of every day. But again, we as Christians are always doing battle, you see. I, I, I taught a, uh, I've got four people in adult instruction right now for membership at Trinity Murdoch and we're talking about the, the Christian life and the life lived in and from holy baptism. And, you know, I warned them that uh, you know, by becoming a Lutheran Christian and learning what the scriptures teach about being a Christian, how we live, is that one of the things is you're going to constantly do battle against your sin, your old sinful nature, the devil, and the world. You know, if you think this becoming a Lutheran Christian is just going to be, as the American evangelicals teach, you know, what, what it means to be a Christian is you'll be happy, slappy, wealthy, and prosperous i get news for you that might not happen you may have to suffer a cross and you'll, you'll be persecuted etc and boy you should have seen their eyes and i told them i said you know i warn you i warn you you know uh this newness will wear off and then uh you you won't want to battle the old adam the world and the devil anymore and we're gonna we're gonna miss you because you're gonna disappear 
I, I know how this works. And you should have seen their eyes then. And I said, then all of a sudden you're going to knock on the door. Cool will show up. Where have you been? You haven't been fighting your old Adam, have you? You've been given into the world and the devil. <laughs> but with regard to the Eighth Commandment, our tongue has to be tamed, if you will. All right? And we are commanded by God in the Eighth Commandment to speak well about other people. Even if, and this Luther points this out in the large catechism, and this is what's shocking to all of us, you are to speak well of other people even if you know something bad about them. That's the, uh, that's the difficult thing for people because <clears throat> so often when, when people are caught gossiping, breaking the Eighth Commandment, talking about their, uh, their neighbor not in love, not putting the best construction on things, not explaining everything in the kindest possible way, the old Adam, the self-justifier, immediately says, but it's true. But it's true. As if the fact that this malicious gossip or this juicy rumor, whatever, if they have some inside knowledge that it's really true, then we can go forth with it. Then we can go public with it. That the truth is the ultimate um, uh, justification with regard to uh, uh, kind of a free pass against the Eighth Commandment. So I'm, th- I'm glad you brought that up. Well, they're, 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 we have to keep something in mind, and Luther is well, well aware of this, and so are you, is that we may hear something bad about someone, but it might not be true. We might not know all the facts. And so put the best construction on everything, right, Adam? Well, that's exactly right. And I was going to say this is one of the things to tangentially talk about uh, is that uh, every pastor as a part of their uh, ordination vows promises not to divulge the sins of those uh, that are confessed to them. And and so that's something I think that keeps people from uh, confession and absolution is this fear that if the pastor knows what I've done wrong, he'll let other people know and it'll be all over town or the congregation will know and people will look down on me, my reputation will be hurt, and so they don't come to confession absolution. And so, and you're talking about it, an individual way of doing yep. it, yeah. So tangentially, I want to say, too, all pastors have made that vow to not divulge those uh, sins confessed to them. And if they do, then they have broken their ordination vows and not, not be a pastor anymore. Uh, and so keep that in mind as you... Um, discuss your pastor with uh, you know things that you've done wrong and whatnot. So. I want to I piggyback on that, and then we'll move on a little bit more on this, is that uh, <laughs> Christians, Lutheran Christians who use the gift of private absolution or individual absolution, there's always this, uh, I, I struggle with how to say this, just to have mercy on me. It's, it's, they, I, call it, I call it confessional hangover. Um, they'll confess something to the pastor individually, but they're really confessing it to God, you see. And uh, they're afraid that the next time they see the pastor, he's going to think poorly of them because of what they've confessed. That's what I call this confessional hangover. So you have to teach people to think differently. And so you say, well, when I see you after this, I won't think differently of you because it's forgiven. It's, it's, it, it, my, my ear was a grave, if you will. You right. And, and, and I mean, it goes with the Eighth Commandment because then in absolution, God speaks a better word about you than you were able to even speak about yourself and the truth. And that's the word that Christ has forgiven your sins, which now is your new reputation that can go forth into the, the world and to the congregation and to all other Christians. Now, ba- backing up a little bit, you, you mentioned the pastoral aspect of this with private confession absolution. And there's more, of course, to say uh, in another direction here is that as Christians deal with each other, 
and as Christians deal with other people in their lives who might not necessarily be Christian, we are to put the best construction on everything, on everything. And I'm going to repeat what I said because I think it bears repeating, is that in the large catechism, Luther says, you are commanded to speak well of somebody even if you know something bad about them because you may hear something through the grapevine or on social media or whatever that might be, but it might not be true. And all the facts not be, might not be uh, presented here as you're hearing or reading about it in social media. So you always put the best construction. And this is really difficult to do, but this is the holy work. This is, this is the way God uses his redeemed people of God to protect people's reputations. See, we, we must go out of our way to protect people's reputations because it's too easy to destroy them. You see, And the holy work here is to defend and uphold people's reputations, even if you hear something bad about them. All right? Pastor, the, uh, the advent of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat has, uh, has really taken this uh, Eighth Commandment into, into a whole new level. We have 24-hour cable news that has to be filled and so as soon as something happens, people are jumping to conclusions. People yeah, are yeah, people are coming up with, they're calling in experts, and this is what happened, and this is why it happened. And many times people are being condemned or criticized or whatever before all the facts are in. And in time, the facts come out, reputations are, are terribly, terribly tarnished, if not killed, uh, what can you say to Christians who live in this Facebook, Twitter, 24-hour news world? What, what, what encouragement, what caution uh, can you say? Put the best construction on everything. Well, of course, yeah, God's yeah. Word teaches us this. But uh, anything specific in this line? <laughs> yeah, I'll do it this way. You know, no doubt your mother was like mine, gentlemen. And mom always said, what, if you can't say anything nice? Don't say anything. Don't say anything at all. Or be silent until you can say something good. That would be my advice. Just sit tight. Wait. Patience. Yeah, but no. Sit tight. Wait. Listen. Wait till all the facts are out. And even if, even if the facts do confirm the gossip, Luther in the large catechism says, well, you're not the judge. Shut up. That's what I was going to say, um, not to quote my mother, but to quote Lisa Simpson from a Simpsons episode from my childhood when uh, all the uh, uh, signs, uh, you know, with the big guy with the cowboy hat and everything come alive and are attacking Springfield. The the ads come to life. The way that they finally get rid of them is they just don't look at them. And I think that's really what we ought to do when people's sin comes up on Facebook, on uh, Twitter and all that stuff. Don't look. Don't click. Uh, don't pay attention to it. Give that person the benefit of the doubt. Treat them the way that you would want to be treated um, and uh, ignore those things. And they'll, if you ignore them, they'll go away. Here's the high pastoral care that Luther gives from the large catechism. Just to say more about your question, Pastor Poppy. He says in the large catechism, I may see and hear that my, that my neighbor has sinned, but to make him the talk of the town, like using social media example, it's not my business. That's what he says in large catechism. And let's not forget what Peter writes in his epistle in 1 Peter 4. What covers a multitude of sins? Love. See, that's the, that's the key here. I'm, I'm trying to answer you, uh, your question here, you see. And so we cover our neighbor's sin with what? 
with love, like uh, who did with yours. This is love, not Jesus. that we loved God, but that he loved yeah, us yeah, yeah. and gave himself as a propitiationary sacrifice. So I'm going to repeat this for the, so people, you know, if you're, if you're taking notes, you know, let's, let's learn this. Luther says, you know, in the large catechism, I may see and hear my neighbor's sin, but to make it the talk of the town, that's none of my business. And so Peter says, love covers a multitude of sin. And so we'll cover our neighbor's sin with love like Jesus did with ours. Well, I hear the music. It's time to take a break. We'll come back in a minute. Hang on tight. 